Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Tuesday. Well, actually, Monday, January 16th, and Tuesday, January 17th, 2023. Um, we'll try to get through this as quickly as possible. It's a bit of a long one since it's two days, but uh, we do have a couple anniversaries. Uh, there's a couple of uh, coronations, actually, that took place on January 16th in 929. Uh, there's sort of coronations. Uh, Abdurrahman III, who was the emir of Cordoba uh, in Spain, uh, or Andalusia at the time, or Al-Andalus, uh, promoted himself, basically, from emir to caliph. Now, the Umayyad, uh, he was an Umayyad. Uh, he was a cousin of the Umayyad ruling family that had held the caliphate uh, until the year 750, uh, he, his family fled. Uh, they seized. Uh, they, they fled all the way as far as they could in the Islamic world uh, to Cordoba and established themselves there. Uh, the reason that he decided to promote himself to caliph uh, again, or promote his family uh, line to caliph again, uh, was because at the time there was actually already a second caliphate, the Fatimid Caliphate in North Africa, and the Abbasid Caliphate in Baghdad, which is the one that had overthrown the Umayyads. Uh, Abdurrahman III felt that he needed to be a caliph to deal on the international stage in terms of prestige and stature with these other two, especially the Fatimids, because there was a possibility at the time uh, of a Fatimid invasion of Al-Andalus that never materialized. Uh, nevertheless, he felt that the promotion was in order, I guess. Also on January 16th in 1547, Grand Duke Ivan IV uh, of Moscow, you may know him as Ivan the Terrible, uh, had himself crowned Tsar of Russia instead of Grand Duke of Moscow. Uh, his grandfather, uh, Ivan III, Ivan III, had, had also used that title informally, but this was the first formal uh, invocation of the title of Tsar uh, in, uh, of, by Russian rulers or Mos Muscovite rulers. And again, it was sort of uh, intended to raise their international stature to put them on par with uh, Mongolian Khans, the Ottoman Sultan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it's considered to be a, a milestone, kind of a way station uh, in Russia's transition from the Principality of Moscow to a, a full-blown empire. Uh, on January 6th, 1979, kind of the opposite thing happened in Iran. Mohammad Reza Shah Pahlavi fled for Egypt at the height of the Iranian Revolution, uh, realizing that he his position in Tehran was untenable, uh, given that uh, pretty much everybody in Iran at this point uh, wanted him gone, uh, almost every sector or segment of Iranian society. Uh, he made a deal with an opposition leader named Shahpur Bakhtiar uh, of the National Front, which is an opposition party, to establish a transitional civilian government. And then he headed out of town. Bakhtiar presumably saw this as a path toward uh, establishing a legitimate civilian government, ending the revolution, presumably with himself uh, at the head of that government. But despite his long career as an, in opposition uh, to the Shah, this appointment undid all of that, and he got a reputation as being the Shah's man. He was tarred with that legacy or that reputation, uh, and so his government was pretty much uh, doomed from the start. It had no legitimacy whatsoever, and, and as we all know, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini returned from exile shortly thereafter and was able to establish himself as the, the centerpiece of the revolution. Uh, on January 17th, 1915, this is the anniversary of the Battle of Sarakamish, which is a uh, Russian victory in World War I uh, in the Caucasus. Uh, it was uh, overwhelming, an overwhelming victory. Um, that put the, the Russians on the offensive in the Caucasus. 
to uh, right up until 1917, until the Russian uh, Revolution and their withdrawal from the war, they were they were on the offensive from this point on. Uh, basically, the the result of the battle resulted, the outcome resulted uh, from a, a series of just boneheaded moves by the Ottoman. Uh, Minister of War Enver Pasha, and I have a, a, a piece on this at, at the website, so you can check it out if you want to. Uh, the upshot, uh, the main upshot, actually, the the out, the aftermath fell on uh, Armenians in the Ottoman Empire more than anybody else, because Enver Pasha uh, went back to Constantinople somewhat in disgrace, having been thoroughly, just thoroughly wiped out. Uh, in this battle, and he took personal command. That that was that was how uh, how much his reputation was on the line. And instead of acknowledging that he'd messed up, he said it was the Armenians' fault that we lost. And this helped to uh, contribute to the the later Armenian genocide. On January seventeenth, nineteen sixty one, the former Prime Minister of the Republic of Congo, Leopoldville Patrice Lumumba, was executed within hours of being handed over to secessionist forces and Belgian mercenaries from the breakaway state of Katanga. A future dictator Mobuto Seze Seko had removed Lumumba from office in a military coup in September, uh, but the ex-Prime Minister had refused to accept his removal and he continued to be a source of resistance. Uh, Mobutu finally had Lumumba arrested in late November 1960 uh, as he was making his way, as Lumumba was making his way east uh, to join an opposition movement that was based in Stanleyville, which is the modern city of Kisangani. Uh, Mobutu then turned him over to the Katangans uh, and he was executed uh, that night, although Congolese authorities initially did not announce his death. In fact, they waited until February 10th to announce his death and then claimed uh, falsely that he'd been killed by a mob of angry villagers uh, after escaping custody. Uh, also, January 17th, 1991, this is the beginning of Operation Desert Storm. For those of you who didn't live through this the way some of us older folks did, uh, this was the moment where the uh, U.S. Operation uh, Desert Shield, uh, which was quickly thrown together in the wake of the Iraqi conquest of Kuwait uh, and was meant to defend Saudi Arabia from a potential Iraqi invasion uh, or Saudi Arabia's oil, let's be honest, uh, from a potential Iraqi invasion. This was the moment when it turned into uh, that that defensive operation turned into an offensive operation. Uh, the United States uh, began a a uh, massive bombing campaign targeting the Iraqi military uh, all over the place, including uh, a lot of Iraqi military units that were fleeing the bombardment were, were nevertheless targeted, uh, and then was followed up by a relatively short ground invasion that uh, drove what, what was left of the Iraqis uh, out of Kuwait in, in fairly short order. Uh, so... Yeah, that's all our anniversaries, I think. Okay, great. Uh, let's move on to the news in the Middle East and Syria. Uh, there's a piece in World Politics Review uh, from Dalia Dasa K uh, that looks at the latest uh, evidence or the latest efforts, I guess, uh, on the part of governments, uh, mostly in the Middle East, although it's uh, to some level, to some degree or another, it's happening uh, beyond the Middle East as well, to kind of rehabilitate the Syrian government of Bashar al-Assad. This is essentially a recognition that, of course, that he's uh, won the Syrian civil war and there's not much to be gained by sort of shunning him uh, anymore. 
I have an excerpt in the newsletter. I'm not going to read the excerpt, but the upshot is, once again, this is being led, it seems like, by the UAE, which was at the forefront uh, of previous efforts to kind of bring the Assad government uh, out from, uh, you know, kind of the the, the chill chest uh, a few years ago. That didn't take, but it seems to have more momentum this time, I think, uh, to a large degree because of the war in Ukraine. There are some other things going on, the situation in Lebanon, uh, that economic meltdown, uh, you know, the Gulf states seem to be, uh, in general, kind of focusing on their own domestic issues right now. Um, but for like the U.S. and, and other international players, I, I think certainly it's the war in Ukraine. Uh, everybody just seems to have bigger fish to fry, and and there's not much uh, reason to to continue kind of going out of their way to exclude Assad's government. Now that doesn't mean, uh, of course, things like U.S. sanctions uh, are going to go away or anything like that. That that anybody's going to take any extraordinary efforts uh, to improve the lot of the Assad government. But certainly, uh, I think the uh, the, the a- extra effort to exclude it. Uh, from the world stage, that that that's probably on the way on the way out. Uh, in Yemen, uh, the Associated Press citing Yemeni, Saudi, and UN officials is reporting that Yemeni rebels and the Saudi government have reopened back-channel negotiations aimed at reviving the ceasefire that they allowed to lapse. In October, the two sides have not resumed widespread fighting since then. Uh, so there does seem to be some mutual in- interest in maintaining the current uh, kind of tenuous state of calm. Uh, ideally, they would not only revive the ceasefire, but they would begin laying the groundwork for a final peace settlement. Uh, one person who has gone on the record is United Nations envoy Hans Grunberg. He told the Security Council on Monday that he believes the parties are on the verge of, quote, a potential step change, end quote, in terms of the overall course of the war. I'm not really sure what that means specifically, but basically it seems like uh, he thinks they're making progress. So uh, I guess that's good. Uh, In Jordan, the Jordanian government summoned Israel's ambassador in Amman on Tuesday over an incident in which Israeli police reportedly blocked Jordan's ambassador to Israel from visiting the Al-Aqsa site in Jerusalem. This is dicey on religious grounds alone, uh, but it's especially dicey on political grounds in that the Jordanian government is supposed to be the administrative authority for the Islamic facilities, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the Dome of the Rock. On that site, uh, Israeli officials claim that the ambassador, Ghassan Majali, failed to notify authorities that he was planning to visit. He was detained by a police officer who didn't recognize him. It's all very simple and believable. Uh, it's unclear why they would have expected uh, prior notification, given that as far as I know, there are currently no restrictions in place uh, on access to the site for Muslims. Uh, nevertheless, that's that's their story. I guess they're sticking to it. Uh, In Israel-Palestine, Israeli occupation forces killed a Palestinian man near the West Bank city of Hebron on Tuesday after he attacked, according to both Israeli authorities and Palestinian media, an Israeli security checkpoint. He may have carried out a previous attack sometime within the past couple of days, but I'm not clear from the reporting whether that's confirmed or just Israeli speculation. Uh, He is the 15th Palestinian whom Israeli forces have killed in the West Bank in 2023, uh, following the killing of a 14-year-old boy on Monday during an arrest raid in a refugee camp outside of Bethlehem. Uh, Israeli authorities say their soldiers were acting in self-defense, as always. Uh, on to Asia and Azerbaijan. According to the Russian Foreign Ministry, Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov stressed to Azerbaijani Foreign Minister Jehun Bayramov on Tuesday that his government needs to remove the protesters who are currently blockading the Lechin Corridor, the road that links the Armenian population of Nagorno-Karabakh to Armenia. 
According to the Azerbaijani government, Bayramov denied that there was a blockade at all, uh, maintained Baku's official line that the protests are a purely spontaneous response to environmental degradation caused by illegal Armenian mining. Uh, this seems like a pretty clear display of the ineffectiveness of Russian efforts to guarantee the agreement that ended the 2020 Karabakh war. The Azerbaijani government apparently has no fear that simply refusing uh, the Russians will cause any undesirable repercussions. Uh, the apparent weakness of the Russian people Peacekeeping operation is of particular concern as Azerbaijani officials, particularly President Ilham Aliyev, uh, have recently started talking up, according to Eurasianet, uh, a supposed historical claim on parts of eastern Armenia or western Azerbaijan uh, in this context. Uh, it, is a ca- it is the case that tens of thousands of ethnic Azeris lived in, who lived in Armenian territory during the Soviet period relocated to Azerbaijan when those two republics began feuding over territory during the final years of the USSR. That's a conflict that continued and became the first Karabakh War once both republics became independent states. The Azerbaijani government maintains that they were forcibly displaced and should have a right to return, which may, you know, may be a fair point, but... Uh, it probably will come as no surprise to learn that the Azerbaijani government does not extend the same status to the tens of thousands of ethnic Armenians who relocated from Azerbaijan to Armenia during that same period. They all left voluntarily or something, I guess. Uh, It seems unlikely uh, that Azerbaijan could enforce uh, a sort of one-sided right of return on the Armenian government. But if the Russians are unwilling or unable to support Armenia in this issue, uh, then anything is possible. Uh, And that's to say nothing of the perpetual threat now facing the hundreds of thousands of residents of Karabakh, uh, whose one connection to the outside world is currently under threat. Uh, In Myanmar, a new report from a group calling itself the Special Advisory Council for Myanmar outlines the growth of that country's arms industry since the February 2021 military coup. It found evidence that companies in 13 countries and possibly more, including the United States, have been helping to build up Myanmar's arms manufacturing capacity. That's enabled the ruling junta to overcome international arms embargoes by producing all the small arms and ammunition its security forces need domestically. Uh, Much of the support may involve the export of so-called dual-use products, which ostensibly have civilian applications in addition to their military ones. Uh, In Vietnam, Vietnamese president, and I'm sorry if I'm going to mangle this, uh, Nguyen Duan Phuc, Uh, has resigned or submitted his resignation, at least according to the Vietnam News Agency. Uh, The Vietnamese Communist Party has reportedly found him responsible for past corruption on the part of a large number of Vietnamese officials, including two former deputy prime ministers who resigned under a cloud of scandal earlier this month. Both served under Phuc during his 2016 to 2021 stint as prime minister. Uh, Phuc's resignation is subject to a vote by the Vietnamese National Assembly, which sounds like it will happen this week. Uh, and then Vice President, and again, I'm sorry in advance, uh, Vau Thi An Juan uh, should take over uh, on an interim basis until a new president is selected. 
in China, the Chinese population stood at roughly 1,411,750,000 at the end of 2022, according to official government figures, which is a decline of some 850,000 people compared with where things stood at the end of 2021. This represents the first annual decline in the Chinese population since 1961. Uh, and demogra- demographic trends strongly suggest it's the first of many such declines to come. UN forecasts have the Chinese population declining by over 100 million people by 2050, and the country should soon be, or may already have been, overtaken by India as the most populous country on Earth. There are concerns about the effect that an aging, shrinking population uh, will have on China's economic growth. Uh, but efforts by the Chinese government to encourage higher birth rates over the past few years have just not been successful. On to Africa and Burkina Faso. Jihadist militants reportedly abducted 50 women in northern Burkina Faso's Somme province last week in a single mass kidnapping. Uh, All of the women were out foraging for food, apparently, which is an activity that has become necessary because jihadist violence has cut entire communities off from the rest of the country. Uh, And it's an activity that must be done by women because of the possibility that militants will kill groups of men on site. Uh, It's unclear whether these were al-Qaeda or Islamic state-affiliated militants. In Somalia, Shabaab fighters attacked a Somali military base in the Hershabella state, in Hershabella state in central Somalia, on Tuesday, killing at least five soldiers and perhaps as many as 11 before being driven off. It's unclear how many of the militants were killed. The attack came one day after Somali officials announced that a combination of federal and state security forces and local militias had captured the port town of Harardre. Uh, Harardere, sorry, uh, which is in nearby Gal- Galmudug state. Uh, they captured from Ashabab, obviously. Uh, that is the single biggest gain the Somalis have made at Ashabab's expense uh, in in years, really, but certainly since the government's current offensive, anti-Ashabab offensive, began in Hershabella last year. Uh, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Congolese President Felix Tshisekedi on Tuesday. Uh, accused the M23 militia of faking its supposed withdrawal from territories in North Kivu province. Uh, Under a ceasefire proposal made by the East African Community Regional Bloc in November, M23 was to have pulled back from the territory it seized over the past year, give or take, uh, by January 15th. Speaking at the World Economic Forum in Davos, uh, Shisekedi claimed that they're, quote, they're simply moving around, redeploying elsewhere, and they stay in the towns that they have captured, end quote. Uh, An M23 spokesperson denied the allegation uh, and accused the Congolese government of failing to abide by the ceasefire. Uh, The UN, it should be said earlier this month, also alleged that M23 was not withdrawing so much as it was just kind of shuffling personnel around and possibly even seizing additional territory. Uh, On to Europe in uh, Belarus, the Biden administration on Tuesday imposed new visa restrictions on 25 Belarusian officials in response to ongoing legal proceedings against a number of opposition figures. Specifically, these new sanctions come in response to the opening of the trial in absentia of Svetlana Sikhanovskaya. Sorry, a lot of names tonight. I apologize. Uh, But that she's the, the, the candidate who ran against 
uh, incumbent Alexander Lukashenko in Bel- Belarus's 2020 presidential election. Uh, she and her followers rejected the results of that election, which sparked nationwide protests and really took the uh, already not so great relationship between Belarus and Western governments uh, into a real spiral, a real death spiral. Uh, in Ukraine, the chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, met with Ukrainian, the Ukrainian military's top commander, Valery Zaluzhny, uh, at the ever-popular undisclosed location uh, in Poland on Tuesday, the first time the two countries' senior military officers had met in person, apparently. It's unclear what they talked about, but it seems that part of Milley's mission uh, will be to take Zaluzhny's weapons requests uh, to this week's meeting of NATO military chiefs of staff uh, in Brussels. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is also in Europe to attend a meeting of the Ukraine contact group in Germany, where it is likely the gang will announce a round of new support. Uh, that could feature German Leopard 2 main battle tanks uh, and more U.S.-made Patriot air defense units. In Bulgaria, uh, Bulgarian President Ruman Radev uh, turned to the Socialist Party on Monday for one last-ditch attempt to form a government and forestall another snap election. The top two finishers in October's parliamentary election, the uh, GERB coalition uh, and We Continue the Change, uh, have already tried and failed to form majority coalitions. There is no reason to expect the socialists uh, will fare any better. A third failure by law triggers a snap election. Uh, in Slovakia, lucky duck Slovak voters may be looking at their own snap election. Uh, they're not going to let the Bulgarians have all the fun. Uh, after Prime Minister Edward Hager on Tuesday gave up his attempt to form a new majority coalition in the wake of the old one's collapse last year. You may recall we discussed this, I believe, last week uh, in the newsletter that he was attempting to put together a new coalition. Uh, Slovak law does set some hurdles that will have to be overcome before a snap election can be held. But at this point, there's really no alternative. The alternative would be to just kind of leave the political situation in limbo until the regularly scheduled election uh, in early 2024. It seems more likely that the the parties will all agree to hold some kind of election uh, this fall. Uh, And in Czechia, there is a slim chance that Czech voters are going to get to have their own snap election. Hooray! Uh, Prime Minister Fiala's government uh, is facing a no-confidence motion in the Chamber of Deputies. Uh, I should say this motion is unlikely to succeed, so the chances, uh, I know, the Anybody listening in, in uh, Czechia is probably disappointed now. Um, it, it's unlikely to succeed. It's probably meant more uh, as a campaign stunt by former Prime Minister Andrei Babish. Uh, his ANO party is the main opposition bloc in parliament. Uh, he is, of course, currently preparing for the second round of the Czech presidential election, which he's expected to lose, according to polling. Uh, so he may be uh, you know, trying a stunt here to try and uh, boost his, uh, his support. Uh, In the Americas, in Guatemala, there is apparently an emerging spat involving the Colombian uh, and Guatemalan governments rooted in Colombian Defense Minister Ivan Velasquez's past gig uh, at the head of a UN team that was assigned to investigate corruption in Guatemala. Uh, That body, the International Commission Against Impunity in Guatemala, had its mandate quashed by then-Guatemalan President Jimmy Morales in 2019. The government of current Guatemalan president Alejandro Giamatei has accused Velasquez of corruption, uh, of his own corruption, uh, which has prompted Colombian president 
President Gustavo Petro to sort of preemptively declare that he will not honor any Guatemalan warrant for his arrest. Such a warrant has, of course, uh, not yet been forthcoming. It's not clear that it will be. Uh, but Giamatti has taken offense nevertheless, uh, and the two countries have recalled their respective ambassadors as a result. And finally, in the United States, uh, Juan Cole at his Informed Comment website discusses a new report from Oxfam that finds that two-thirds of all the wealth created globally over the past two years has accrued to the richest 1% of humanity. Uh, meanwhile, 1.7 billion workers around the world saw their real incomes decline. Uh, this is quoting from from uh, Juan Cole's piece. Oxfam doesn't say so, but the problem with this concentration of wealth uh, in a few hands like those of the world's 2,666 billionaires is that they are not only hogging resources, but they are way too powerful. It is from among this group that propaganda originates against our taking firm and swift steps to halt carbon dioxide emissions. Uh, they just want their piles of gold to grow like Smaug the Dragon in Tolkien. Uh, they don't seem to care that their grandchildren will drown or burn up in wildfires or drop dead from heat exhaustion. Maybe they think their family wealth will protect them, but billionaires can die in sudden fires like anyone else. Billionaires also distort democracy in menacing ways. They attempt to gut workers' unions, as with Jeff Bezos at Amazon. In the absence of strong unions, workers' real income declines over time, forcing some into poverty. Uh, the billionaires corrupt the courts. They engage in legislative capture, buying the very politicians who regulate their industries. They also form a powerful standing lobby for bad tax policy, i.e. tax breaks for the rich, and the starvation of government and provision of services. Donald Trump should not have been allowed to use his personal fortune to buy the presidency, people like Trump are proof positive that making a lot of money is no guarantee of soundness of mind. Well, I don't know about that last part, but the rest of it seems okay. Uh, on that note, uh, I want to thank you for uh, listening, reading in, or listening to the newsletter. If you've been listening, uh, thank you for putting up with my somewhat shaky voice this evening. Uh, thank you. Thanks to those of you who are subscribed in the newsletter, especially those of you uh, who have made the jump and become paid subscribers. Uh, we should have a new piece, uh, new contributor piece coming out tomorrow, so please keep an eye out for that. Uh, and uh, until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.